break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 23rd of March, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show, and we've got plenty for you here on the show We're going to be talking about protest in Tunisia and political turmoil there. We're also going to be talking about China and India and whether or not they might be about to reset their relations. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to talk about pain at the pump. Well, as is obvious to just about everyone, gas prices are shooting up significantly, having increased for 11 straight weeks spiking due to sanctions levied against major oil and gas producer Russia by Western nations in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. As the Wall Street Journal noted yesterday, quote, if March prices average $4.22 a gallon as they have so far, motorists will have been saddled with the biggest month-over-month price increase since Energy Information Agency records began in the mid-70s. The next highest increase was after Hurricane Katrina in 2005, end quote. The journal also goes on to note that, quote, some regions have seen greater price increases than others. Nevada saw the biggest increase with prices up $1.15 for a gallon over the past month, according to AAA, much higher than the national average of 72 cents. The smallest change was in Maryland, where prices rose 28 cents, end quote. Overall, there have been institute details that, quote, between February 2021 and February 2022, gas costs increased by almost 40 percent, putting a heavy burden on the 76 percent of Americans who commute by car, end quote. While on average, families with cars spend about 15.4 percent of their monthly income on transportation, working class people are hit particularly hard by the increase in gas prices. For instance, households making less than $25,000 a year with cars spend nearly 25 percent of their income on transport cost. Those making twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars spend fifteen percent, while those making fifty to seventy-five thousand are spending nearly twenty percent of their monthly income on transportation cost on average. So, in other words, most working-class people are seeing huge increases in costs that range from about one seventh to one quarter of their monthly expenses already. This all comes as rents jumped 15% in January and utility prices are increasing with electricity up 12% since 2019, gas 27%, fuel oil 40%, and the cost of food has increased 8% as compared to February of 2021. For those looking to switch to an electric vehicle, well, that isn't looking like it's going to necessarily help your wallet either. Used car prices are up 35% in the past year overall. Used hybrids are up 46% and used electric vehicles up 43%. Why? Well, the already existing chip shortage has been exacerbated by sanctions on Russia because Russia is a key supplier of components for the high-tech chips needed for cars these days. So the supply of new cars, especially electric vehicles that have more high-tech components, is down. 
meaning the used car market is seeing increased demand overall, and specifically for cars that use less gas. There's an important commentary here on how imperialism is affecting our daily lives. The U.S.-NATO push eastward and reckless disregard of Russian reactions led us to this war, which has increased gas prices. The oil market was already tight because the U.S. is sanctioning major oil producers like Venezuela and Iran, exacerbating the impact of the war on increasing gas prices. We're too dependent on fossil fuels in the first place because the U.S. government caters to the whims of big corporations who don't care about climate change, and to the degree that there is momentum on sustainable energy, it's restrained by the attempts of the U.S. to start a new Cold War with China. So when you want to drop a cuss word at the gas station when you see your final cost, make sure you're cursing the right people, the capitalist class, and their agenda at home and abroad. While the trip seems to be wrapped in secrecy, multiple sources in India and Hong Kong are reporting that Wang Yi, the foreign minister and state counselor of China, is headed to New Delhi for meetings tomorrow. This would be the highest level visit between the two countries' leaders since India-China relations went into a deep freeze two years ago after a border dispute high in the Himalayas turned deadly. Yi's trip comes right after Victoria Newland led a large U.S. delegation to India for several days of meetings, where allegedly the U.S. was trying to push India into taking a position in favor of sanctions and isolation towards Russia, which appears to have gained very little traction in India at all. India and China have taken similar attitudes towards Russia during the conflict, refusing to participate in the Western-led isolation attempts and becoming in many ways a bulwark against those sanctions. Undoubtedly, the sanctions are what seems to be bringing the two countries back together to a degree as they hit right at the core interests of both. India and China do quite a bit of trade with Russia, and in India's case, its alliance with Russia on military technology is core to both its military and arms industry. India and China both are now buying more oil and gas from Russia, and various Indian and Chinese companies are some of the main entities that many speculate could fill investment in market gaps created by Western companies leaving. Both nations are also developing financial networks to manage payments with Russia that can evade sanctions. How the U.S. and other Western nations implement their sanctions then could have a major impact on those countries and the companies within them, either forcing them to give up lucrative trade and long-term relationships in Russia or to band together to push back. It'll be very difficult for the West to isolate Russia economically if it means it has to level secondary sanctions on major Indian and Chinese companies. Even attempting to strong-arm either country in this way carries big risks. India could drop out of the so-called Quad designed to isolate China in Asian regional affairs, which would essentially destroy the U.S. attempts to isolate China and start a new Cold War. And China could use its significant economic leverage to fight back and do serious damage to U.S. industries. So to the extent China and India are on the same page as it concerns the Ukraine conflict and how to respond to the sanctions that have resulted from it, it's the easier they can push back against more aggressive moves by the U.S. It's notable that in the joint communique issued by Russia and China before the Olympics, they pledged to try to revive the Russia-India-China format of dialogue. And many noted that Russia is also probably the only country who can credibly mediate between those two nations. And on that front, Russia recently announced it's likely to sell its S-500 missile system to India. It's probably the most advanced missile defense system on Earth. The S-500 can shoot down hypersonic missiles, which China is developing, as well as ICBMs and low-Earth orbit satellites. This would add a major deterrent to the Indian arsenal, make them feel more secure in their ability to deter what Indian officials deem to be the potential for Chinese aggression, which might be just the thing they need to feel more confident about reopening diplomatic and economic relations more robustly with China. 
One thing to watch will be whether or not Prime Minister Modi announces sometime soon that he will attend the BRICS summit in China this year, which would absolutely be a signal that India is looking to restart cooperation with China, at least on some level. Now, there's plenty to shake out here. Nothing set in stone, but possibly the Russian invasion of Ukraine may be the impetus for a reset in India-China relations and an overall strengthening of cooperation between BRICS nations as a counterweight to Western hegemony. This past weekend saw protests in Tunisia's capital of Tunis, calling for the resignation of President Kais Saeed in opposition to his attempts to rewrite the constitution after using emergency powers to take sole control of the country last year. The protests come after the president held a quote-unquote online consultation to take various proposals related to changes in the constitution in which only 7% of registered voters participated. As the news site People's Dispatch details, quote, On Saturday, March 19th, a major left opposition party, the Workers' Party of Tunisia, organized a rally on Habi Borgiba Street in central Tunis in defiance of the decision of the governor to ban protest actions on the street. They also condemned President Saeed's moves to consolidate authoritarian individual rule. In front of the municipal theater, the leader of the Workers' Party, Hama Hamami, held a press conference and spoke to his party supporters and denounced the electronic national consultation, which he said was, quote, a failure by all standards, and added that this consultation, quote, used the capabilities of the state at a time when the country is on the verge of bankruptcy. People's Dispatch further reports that on Sunday, March 20th, over 2,000 people marched near the Tunisian parliament in the center of the city of Tunis. They raised slogans like, the people want to bring down the coup, down with the coup d'etat, no to consultations, and the people want to depose the president. People from all walks of life and across the political spectrum participated in the protests that were jointly organized by the Enhada Party, the biggest party in the currently suspended parliament, and the group Citizens Against the Coup, which was formed after the president undertook extraordinary measures in July of last year to usurp almost all executive and legislative power in the country. Saeed has been ruling purely by presidential decree since last July and has suspended parts of the Constitution. The referendum around rewriting the Constitution is slated to be held in July and new elections in December. Saeed claims his moves were necessary to break the country out of a downward spiral, but since he seized power, Tunisia has been rocked by numerous protests, not just against his power grab, but also police brutality and the rapidly deteriorating economic situation, which has seen marked increases in unemployment, poverty, and shortages of important goods. Saeed is promising to address these issues by imposing austerity in exchange for an IMF loan. According to Al Jazeera, taking the IMF loan would require halting hiring and a five-year wage freeze in the public sector, selling some state companies, and lifting all subsidies within four years. The nation's largest union federation, the UGTT, which has over a million members and is widely considered the most powerful political group in the country, has totally rejected the IMF deal, stating they won't, quote, remain silent if Saeed tries to push through these changes. Many people have stated that Saeed's plans seem to be an attempt to return to the anti-democratic elite rule that characterized the country for decades under former President Ben Ali, who ruled the country with an iron fist until the Arab Spring. All told, it seems hard to see how Saeed can push through both the new constitution and an austerity package without a significant increase in turmoil in Tunisia. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. 
And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 